Hi, John Kavakis here. Just a short note to tell you that we've had a snow emergency again for the second week in a row. So we have a little bit of an abbreviated service today. We've got a scripture reading, some prayer, and the sermon. Uh, We've asked the worship folks and the service folks to stay home and stay safe and stay warm. So our sermon today uh, has to do with the fact that God knows everything. And that should have a profound impact on our perception of privacy. Now, we'll be sharing communion at the end of the service, uh, so if you'd like to get some elements, some crackers or bread and and juice or something, uh, you're happy to join us. Uh, There are no special requirements we have for communion other than to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Uh, So let's join the service now as it is in progress. Good morning. I want to thank you for spending some time with us this morning uh, online. Uh, We have a little bit of a snow event outside, so... Uh, you're the congregation today, and we're glad that you decided to join us. I got a few short announcements. Uh, I just want to talk to you a little about there. There are things in the making uh, that I'm very excited about. Uh, I'm eager to share them with you. I can't share the details yet, uh, but we're going to have a new way to communicate with you real soon, and we'll be able to introduce some of these online uh, and in person at the same time. So keep your eyes on the Monday minutes and the Friday forecast. That's where the updates will be. Uh, I hope you'll be able to enjoy these things. But the other thing that I want to mention is we're going to need your help with a few things as well. So we're going to to have some activities that we'll need volunteers for. So be praying about that, how you might be able to encourage us, pray for us, and, and help us as well. Let's open up with prayer. Father, we give you thanks for the very technology that allows us to be together in this most unusual way. Unusual for us, Father. Uh, but not unusual for you, for you have provided it. So we give you thanks for a virtual congregation this morning. And we pray, Father, your Spirit would move among us. Lord, there are those of us that need a touch of healing. We would ask for that. There are those of us that are heartbroken, and those of us that need encouragement. We would ask for that. For those of us that are doing fine, Father, we pray that you would fill us with anticipation and the expectation that your Spirit might move in us today, filling all of us, Father, to overflowing, that we might be the messengers and the representatives of the gospel that you intend us to be. And we give you thanks for this in Jesus' name. Now, we don't have an official offering this morning, but we are going to pause and thank God for the abundance with which he blesses us. Lord, we thank you for the way you pour your blessings out upon us. And I thank you for this congregation, Father, that has been faithful in its giving. And I pray, Father, that you would take all of these offerings, these tithes, everything that we put on the altar before you, Father, and use them for your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. I'm going to do a short scripture reading. Uh, Our sermon this morning uh, concerns the myth of privacy. We've talked about this a number of times. Um, Jesus speaks of it in the Gospel of Mark. Now, this is in the parallel passage to the passage we're taking our sermon from this morning. So this is Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 23. And he, Jesus, said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears, let him hear. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. 
I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 1 through 12 this morning. And while you're turning there, I want to share a Spurgeon quote with you. I have a little bit more to say about this at the end of the service. But Spurgeon said, With heaven there are no secrets. That which is done in the private chamber of the heart is as public as the streets before the all-seeing eye. And he's talking about the all-seeing eye of God. So what I want you to remember today is that God knows everything. Now, we believe in an omniscient God. That means that there is nothing outside the purview of God. There's nothing that happens outside his knowledge. He doesn't have his back turned at any minute. He doesn't have his eyes closed. He's not paying attention to something else. God knows everything. And because he's apart from time, he knows everything that ever was. He knows everything that is. And he knows everything that will be. Now, let that give you a headache for a while as you try and figure that out. But I want you to know that God knows everything. Now, that has ramifications in our life today. So, the title of our sermon today is The Myth of Privacy. The Myth of Privacy. This is part 34 in our ongoing series in Luke, uh, The Love of God for All People. So, Jesus has just had, let me give you the context for the passage today. Jesus has just had a major confrontation with the Pharisees and with the scribes. He called the Pharisees and scribes fools. Now, That's in the context of the Old Testament meaning of the word fools. These are people that neither listen to nor obey God. So he chastised them for false piety and for leading people to death rather than to life. And today, Jesus is going to amp up that teaching more. He's going to make it even more intense. And during while he does that, he's going to tell his followers four behaviors to avoid. So he says, don't. Lie, verses 1 through 3. Watch this. Cry, verses 4 through 5. Don't deny, verses 6 through 7. And don't be shy, verses 8 through 12. I hope you like that. I worked hard on it. So let's take a look at don't lie. The first behavior that followers of Christ should avoid. Now, he uses the Pharisees and the scribes as negative examples of these things. So we need to be watching for what he's telling them not to do and what he's telling us not to avoid as well, and in turn, we know what to do. So don't lie, our first behavior. Verse 1, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. Now, here's the crowd. People are coming from all over to hear Jesus Christ. He's become popular. We don't know why they're there. We have some suspicions. Uh, Maybe they're there because he's not afraid to confront the Pharisees. Uh, Maybe they're there to see if he does miracles and signs and wonders again. We know that they like them. Uh, But we also know uh, that the public has a disturbing kind of an interest in confrontation and, and disputes. And so whatever the reason that they're there, there are a lot of people, and Jesus knows that this popularity that he's experiencing right now is temporary. And he wants to use this to teach the disciples something very positive. So he's going to continue to equip the disciples as he finishes up his ministry. And we see this. He began to say to his disciples first. Now, just stop and think about that for just a second. Because Jesus always gives the priority in his teaching to those who are following him. He always gives them the deeper lesson. Now, there's several reasons for this. Number one, he wants them to 
carry on the ministry afterwards. When, when he leaves, they're going to be the ones who affect all the ministry. They're the ones that do the work. Uh, they have demonstrated a commitment to him. Uh, they've given up everything they have to follow him, their reputations, their, their livelihoods. Uh, they, they've, they've just sacrificed everything in their life to be his followers. So he knows that they're not fickle. He believes that the crowd is fickle. He would know that the crowd is fickle. But his followers aren't asking for proof. They're not asking him to do signs and wonders. And they love him for who he is. That's an important part of being a follower of Christ. Loving him for who he is, not for what he does. Not for what he gives them. So, Look what he tells them. Now, keep in mind the context. Again, the context is he, he just gave the Pharisees a chance to repent. Yes, he chastised them, but they have the opportunity to turn from those ways and turn towards him. Uh, they thought popularity was a virtue. They would see all these people clamoring for Jesus and be jealous over it. Christ is surrounded by this people, thousands of them trying to get near him. He's the popular one right now. They're not really liking that. Uh, so in this throng of people, with people reaching for him and shouting and screaming, and trying to get his attention, he says, maybe, maybe even quietly to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, in other words, he's saying, be constantly vigilant. That's the connotation of beware. Be constantly looking out. Don't fool yourselves like the Pharisees have fooled themselves. Don't look at this crowd and think that this means anything. It can trip you up. It can make you proud of yourself. And that kind of pride is the same type of pride that the Pharisees have, and it is a leaven, and it is a cancer, and it, that infects everything that it touches. It led the Pharisees to lead double lives, pious on the outside, and all eat up with darkness on the inside. They may be fooling themselves, but, verse 2, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Verse 3, therefore, whatever you've said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Now, this is a twofold message. It's a caution and it's an encouragement. Here's the caution, and it is a caution to those who are living false, duplicitous life. They're saying one thing and doing another. All their secrets, all their duplicity, all their lies are going to be exposed. Not just exposed, but shouted from the rooftops. Think about this for a minute. And, and think about what it means to us today. It means that we don't have to concern ourselves with conspiracies. We don't have to concern ourselves with all the lies that people tell. Everybody's lying to us. We don't have to concern ourselves whether or not they're going to get away with it. They won't. They're not going to get away with it. Everything is going to be revealed in the end. So the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the hypocrisy and lies of every leader that ever existed that led a duplicitous double life is going to be exposed. It's going to be punished. This is a caution 
to those who are leading unholy lives. God knows. He knows everything. But there's a blessing in here as well. It's twofold. There's a blessing for those who live with integrity, those who live with honesty, for those who live in obedience. Their deeds and their words are going to be revealed as well. So Jesus issues this warning to the Pharisees and this encouragement to us. And the warning to them is don't lie, don't lead a two-stage life. And it's the same thing to us. Now we know not to tell lies. That's not what I'm talking about here because this goes a little bit deeper. It says, don't allow your life to be a lie. Don't act holy in public, just like the Pharisees do, but continuously doing evil in private. It's a warning against hypocrisy. And it's also a promise. It's a promise that those who live the gospel, those who represent Jesus Christ, those who strive to lead a godly life. That's going to be shouted from the rooftops. So we need to decide what we want shouted from the rooftops at the end times. Every lie we've ever done, every unholy act we've ever done, or our devotion to Jesus Christ, our striving to be obedience to Him. Because those things are going to be revealed. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? First behavior is don't lie. Second one is don't cry. Now, it starts in verse 4. He says, I tell you, my friends, he's still talking to his disciples. He's having this private discussion with them in the middle of thousands of people. It's amazing. Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. It's a double-edged warning. Don't fear, really what he's saying is don't fear martyrdom. Don't fear... The, the, the violence of those who would threaten you. And, you know, there's something to think about because here in 21st century United States of America, we don't really think about martyrdom too much. It's kind of something that's remote for us. We don't think of people wanting to kill us because of our faith. But Jesus talks about it right here. And, and it is a distinct possibility I mean, Scripture tells us that people will hate us because they hate Jesus Christ. And the ultimate manifestation of that hate is them trying to take our lives. Jesus is saying, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of those that can only hurt you. That means maybe, maybe we will be hurt. Jesus never, never promises that we will not suffer physically. He never says that. He doesn't guarantee that he will protect us physically. So we shouldn't get derailed when something happens. It's not you know, things haven't gone uh, off track. They're, 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 God's not sitting in heaven going, gee, I didn't plan on this. And, you know, whether or not he planned it or not, when it happens, we need to be careful not to fear the situation more than we fear our Father in heaven. And if you start to think about it, Physical harm is about the only thing that someone who hates us can do to us, isn't it? And that type of pain is temporary. It doesn't last, or at least it, the promise is that it won't last forever. 
any physical pain that you suffer today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower in Him, if you've confessed your sins, if you've received Him as Lord of your life, any physical pain you suffer today is going to be one day be washed away when you stand before the Lord. Jesus says, if you want to fear someone, verse 5, but I warn you whom to fear, fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Who's he talking about? He's talking about God. He's talking about God the Father who has the authority over all these things. So believers have nothing to fear. Certainly not God. He's not telling us to fear God. But we need to be honest that there are times when we fear other people. And here, Jesus gives us an encouragement to know that we were in the Father's hands. And if we understand that we're in the Father's hands and we're there for eternity, then physical harm or even death is not a threat to us. Because the very worst thing that can happen to any of us here on earth is to be sent into the presence of the Father. Maybe a painful sending. But our ultimate home is in His presence, where there is no pain, there's no tears, there's no sin. So Jesus says, and and we need to listen to this carefully, don't fear men and their schemes. Again, it's contemporary application. Nothing, anything, or anyone can do in this physical world can upset God's plan. Nothing can upset God's plan for his church and for his people. And that includes you and me. God knows everything. He sees everything. Nothing is being done in a back room somewhere that he doesn't know about. And his ultimate plan for us is to walk in a manner worthy of our calling and to be glorified and in his presence. And nothing can interfere with that. So the church isn't going away. It may change, and we're watching that happen right now, aren't we? It may change in how we meet. It may change in how many people meet. We may be meeting in folks' cellars. We don't know. There may be people trying to hunt us down because we are Christians, and they don't want us meeting. God said, don't worry about that. Don't fear those people. Don't fear those plans. I've got it under control. Be more concerned about your relationship with me than with them. So the message here is don't cry out. Don't cry out. That's our second behavior. Instead, if we're going to cry out, you know, this is not about about shedding tears. This This is about proclaiming. This is about shouting. Sometimes we feel the the urge to shout from the rooftops and and kind of tell God to stand aside. We got this, okay? And so if we're going to cry out anything, if we're going to shout anything from the rooftops, it needs to be the gospel. Do all you can to help those, watch this, do all you can to help those who oppose him to understand who they should fear. They should fear God. And we should do all we can to help them understand that before it's too late for them, before they stand in front of Him and receive the ultimate judgment. They need to know that they can be forgiven. So we don't cry out against them. We cry out the gospel to them. Second behavior. Talk about our third behavior. Don't deny. 
Verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. You need to understand that if, if you're a believer, you need to understand how precious you are to your Father in heaven. How loved you are by Him. He gave up His only Son to save you so that you could be with Him. Now, it's easy to forget this. It's easy to put it on the back burner. It's easy to kind of give a nod to it and then look at our situations and get overwhelmed by them. So when, when the world is closing in around us, particularly when we're enduring pain or when we're suffering loss or when we've been hurt or when our heart is broken, it's easy to be overwhelmed and controlled by the pain or the grief or the bitterness or the anger that can result from those situations. In those times, we would do well to stop, drop to our knees, and bear in mind that Christ hung on a cross and endured far more evil and pain than you and I will ever endure combined. And He did it. He did it for you. He did it for you. You have been given to the Son of God. And He knows. It's not just that God knows everything. He knows you. We take a look at the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. So, what, what he's saying is, I've got them all in my hand, Father. You gave them to me. And I haven't lost one of them. He knows your name. He knows that you're in His hand. He knows the hair on your head. The King of all creation knows you. Don't forget that. Don't deny that God loves you incredibly, infinitely, and eternally. Don't forget that you are one of God's precious children. It's the third behavior. The fourth behavior is don't be shy. Listen to this, starting with verse 8. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. That's a good thing. We confess Him. He confesses us. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. That, you don't want to be in that position. If, if you're listening in today and you don't know Jesus Christ, understand that there will come a day when you stand before God and either Jesus will, will lift you up and encourage you and be your advocate, or He will deny you. And that determines where you will spend the rest of eternity. Either in the presence of God or in what they call the lake of fire. And they call it the lake of fire because it burns. Being a denier of God is, is not the option that we want to exercise. 
In verse 10 he says, And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, we hear about this all the time. And just an aside, we hear about the unforgivable sin, the unpardonable sin, and everybody trying to figure it out. And I've heard countless sermons on, you know, what that sin might be. There's only one sin that can't be forgiven, and it's the one where you deny Christ. So, I mean, the Pharisees just attributed the work of Christ to Satan. And you can't deny Christ more strongly than that. So the unpardonable sin is rejecting Christ. And he's saying, don't do that. Everyone who speaks the word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. The one who says that the Holy Spirit I'm not interested in, he doesn't do a good work, I'm not interested in all this God stuff. Those are the ones who go into the lake of fire. Verse 11, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So says don't deny. Don't deny Christ. Be bold in your testimony. Put your faith on display. Now, you know, we hear about that, and I think sometimes when we talk about the gospel, it means that, we think that it means we've got to stand out on the street corner and preach. Well, you know, some of us can do that, and some of us are gifted to do that, and, you know, we probably all know somebody that can walk into a crowd and start talking about Jesus, all of a sudden people get saved. We're not all that person. But that's not what we're talking about here, about putting your faith on display. It's talking about living uh, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, living with Jesus Christ inside you. And there are ways that we can do that. I'm going to give you three general categories that you can follow as if you want to put your faith on display. We can talk about Jesus in our life. Now, that doesn't take a lot of work. Praise God, I've had a great day. What a blessing I got my paycheck. I got an A on the test. Thank you, Lord. Th- those are testimonies to the Lord in our lives. We, we can share our faith. We can show that we put our trust in Him. You know how it works. Uh, people know you're a Christian, and they don't really have a lot to do with you until they have a problem, and then they want to come and talk to you about it. And so your, your witness can be, yeah, I mean, you, you don't have to memorize Scripture. You don't have to have the Roman road. You don't need the, the four spiritual laws. All you have to be able to say is, yes, I've had pain in my life too. And I'll tell you, without my faith in Jesus Christ, I don't know how I would have gotten through. Can I tell you about that? So we're a constant witness to Christ. You can, you can put your faith on display by inviting people to your church. Invite them, you know, when, when you feel comfortable, invite the neighborhood over to your home on Sunday morning. Hey, look, uh, we're online on Sunday morning. You can dress casual. I'll make some coffee. Come on over and we'll watch a service together. That's putting your faith on display. You can, you can do little things. I mean, you know, we've got a great relationship with the Gideons. You can give away Bibles. They've got New Testaments all over the place. You can hand out. You can hand them whole Bibles. You can say, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I'm finding the answers that I need in here. Can I show you how to do this? Maybe I can recommend that you start with the book of John. Open it up and put the... I mean, there are a million ways for us to put God on display and our trust in Him so we can talk about Jesus in our lives. The other thing we can do is we can think about Jesus. Now, I, I want you to think about this. This means that Jesus is always on our mind. 
that we understand that He'll never leave us, never forsake us. That uh, when we are considering what we're going to do with our day, what we're going to do in the next few moments, we realize that Jesus is there with us. And we put our focus on Him. In particular, when we're tempted to sin. We stop and go, you know, I, I have the Holy Spirit in me. Uh, I can decide not to do that, and I think I will because I don't want to offend the Holy Spirit. God's done so much for me. I can do this little thing for Him. So we can think about Jesus. We can practice His presence as we go through the day. We can utter little prayers. Somebody comes to mind. Matter of fact, try this. The next time that somebody, you know, that one person that aggravates you so much, (laughs) that one person that when you see them, you kind of grit your teeth a little bit, when that person comes to mind, instead of allowing those tapes on how they had hurt you to play over and over again and say, he said this, he did that, she said this, she did that, stop and say, Lord, bless them. Lord, forgive me for thinking those things. And I'm going to ask you to bless them right now. Forgive me for being resentful and angry and unforgiving. Lord, bless them. I lift them up to you. And you watch how quickly that resentment goes away. So we think about Jesus. And the other thing is that we tell people about Jesus. And that's just sharing the gospel. And again, it doesn't have to be too terribly complicated. It can be something as simple as, you know, I know that you're struggling. And I got to tell you, I struggled too until I realized that I could be forgiven. Uh, My Bible says that if I ask God for forgiveness, that he'll forgive me. And if I believe in his son, that he'll give me eternal life. As easy as that. Just tell people about Jesus. You can be redeemed. I know this looks bad to you, brother. I know this looks hard to you, my sister. But let me tell you something. God forgives. And I know he forgives because he forgave me. Would you like to be forgiven? And then you can pray with him. It's just sharing the gospel. So our fourth behavior is don't deny. Don't deny the gospel. Don't deny that you're saved. Depend on the Holy Spirit. Open your mouth. And the scripture right here tells us that he'll give us the words to say. I love this. I don't have to come up with anything. I don't have to practice it. All I've got to do is open my mouth and start talking. The rest is up to him. So we have these, these four don'ts. We've got the don't lie, verses 1 through 3. Don't let, your, don't let your wife life be wasted. Don't live a duplicitous life. Don't run around trying to look holy and living an unholy life in private. There's nothing private anyway. Don't cry. If you're going to cry out, let it be the gospel. Let it be the gospel that's on your lips and, and powering the lungs to, to shout this thing from the rooftops. Don't deny. Don't deny or forget that you are a precious child of God. And don't be shy. When you stand before those who oppose God, that would be everybody that denies Jesus Christ, be bold. Be bold in sharing your faith. Open your mouth and start talking and watch what the Holy Spirit does with that. So these are the things that we see here in this passage. These are the things that Jesus is telling his followers to do. And we need to be diligent to do them. We can't just slack off on this and go, well, that's for other people, that sort of thing, and kind of shirk our duties. And I'll tell you why. Because God knows everything. God knows everything. We can't run and hide. We can't escape Him. He knows everything about you. 
Now watch this. I, I, I just I want to impress this upon you. While we have this short time together, God knows everything. I mentioned earlier that he's apart from time. He just sees things differently than we do. He knew everything about you before you were born. He knows everything that you've done. He knows everything that you're doing. Let that sober you up some. He knows everything that you will do. And the most amazing thing about this is he knew that ahead of time and he still sent his son to die for you. God knows all of your failings, all of your weaknesses, all of the stumbles. He knows all those things that you would never share with anybody. And he still loves you. It's an incredible, unconditional, grace-saturated love. And what we need to carry away from that is that privacy is a myth. Oh, the culture that we're surrounded by puts so much, so much value on privacy. There's no such thing. You don't have any secrets. I don't have any secrets. Because God knows everything. Privacy is a myth. So render up those dark parts inside you to your Father in heaven and ask for forgiveness and depend on the Holy Spirit to carry you through as you walk away from those things in your life. Spurgeon's quote that we started with. With heaven there is no secrets. That which is done in the private chamber of the heart is as public as the streets before the all-seeing eye. Now, that came from a short book that he wrote called John Plowman's Talk. And Spurgeon confesses that this is a book for the simple, common, everyday man. A book for everybody to understand. So he wanted to be clear and concise in everything he said. And he said, there are no secrets in your heart. God sees them all. So as we go forward, and we surrender those things to him, and we strive. Now, we're not going to be perfect at these things that we're told not to do here. We're not going to be perfect at it, but as we strive for it, as our hearts yearn and hunger, for being the people that God wants us to be. The Holy Spirit helps us. And the more we surrender to Him, the easier our walk comes. The more we understand there are no secrets, the harder it is to try and hide things from God. Let that be a blessing to you. We're going to do communion today. And so I want to give you just a moment or two to prepare uh, whatever elements you have at home are fine, uh, as long as we understand what we're doing with them. Uh, so I've got a wafer and uh, some juice here. And we've just heard an incredible story about the love of God. And this communion that we celebrate right now is a recognition of that love, a recognition of the sacrifice that had to be made in order for us to spend these moments together, even these virtual moments. God knew everything, doesn't he? He knew that there would come a day when this sanctuary would be empty 
and that you would be sitting in your living room or your den somewhere and participating in this. And he's given us this observance to do together while we're apart. I think this is just absolutely incredible. We can still be the united body of Christ even though we're not in the same room. So we're going to take this piece of bread and pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the representation of the body of your son that was tortured and mutilated, suffered incredible pain, yet he endured it, Father, so that we might have this moment together, just a shadow of the eternity that we will spend together in each other's presence. We thank you for that bread which was his body. We thank you for that body which was broken, and we receive it in Jesus' name. Take and eat. And so, so we have this juice. And we have this representation of the blood of Christ. Because the body needed to be broken to take the punishment for our sin. But then we needed to be cleansed as well. And throughout the Old Testament, we see that the remission of sin comes from the shedding of blood. So Christ shed his blood so that not only would our sins be paid for, but we would be cleansed and presentable to be in the presence of the Father, made holy by his sacrifice and the cleansing of his blood. So, Father, we, we thank you for this little drink that we have here, Father, that in and of itself has no power and no presence, but what it represents, Father, is the cleansing power of the blood that your Son shed on the cross. We thank you, Father, that the work is finished with the broken body and the shed blood, and that we are now redeemed and in your presence, that when we call upon your name, Father, we receive eternal life. So we thank you for this bit of liquid and take and drink. Let's pray. Father, do what you will with us. God, we belong to you. We're your servants. Give us life, Father. Give us support. And for the weakest among us, help us not to stumble. And for the strongest, Father, help us to understand that we can stumble. Thank you for the greatness of your promises. Thank you for the strength that we have in the faith that you've given us. Thank you for the calling that you've put upon us, Father, to walk in a manner worthy of that calling, that you give us the capability to do it. The presence and the power of your Spirit enables us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Help us to be aware of it, Father. Help us to be aware of the things deep down inside that hinder our communion with you, Father, that we might render them up to you and be forgiven for them and be drawn closer to you. Thank you for this congregation. I thank you for these people that are listening, and I ask a blessing upon their homes, upon their families, upon their circumstances today, Father, that they might be shining examples of your presence in their lives to all the people around them. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name.
Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless you. Pastor John here again. I just want to take a moment and thank you for spending some time with us. I hope you were blessed by the sermon. We have a high view of the Word of God at Warrington Bible Fellowship. And we would love to hear from you. If you're part of our congregation or if you're part of our online congregation, I'd love to receive a note from you. I'll put my email up here on this screen so you can contact me personally. We'd also like the opportunity to pray for you so you can send your prayer requests in as well. You can find us on the World Wide Web at www.wbfva.org. You can find us on YouTube. Our channel is WBFVA. We're on Facebook as well. So we look forward to hearing from you again. God bless.